This is Aspiring Altruists, the show where you'll hear the stories of young professionals in the nonprofit sector working to change the world. We'll dive into their backgrounds, hear about the work they do, and ultimately learn how they got to where they are and how you can do the same. With the nonprofit sector comprising one of the largest U.S. workforces by tackling the world's biggest problems across nine major categories, you may just hear something that could change your life, and through it, the lives of countless others. Today's guest is one who has gone from the political world to the nonprofit sector, back into politics, and now back once again to the nonprofit sector, Dennis Barrett. Dennis is an advocacy campaign manager at the Trevor Project. As you can guess, he has a broad range of experience from his early career adventures, and he's going to share with us about that journey, as well as how he lives out his passion through the work he does daily, along with much more. So, let's hear from Dennis. So, Dennis, can you tell the listeners a little bit about the role that you're in and the organization that you work for? Yeah, I currently work for the Trevor Project uh, as one of the advocacy campaign managers on their advocacy team. The Trevor Project is the world's largest suicide prevention and mental health organization for LGBTQ young people. Um, And the organization offers 24-7 and free crisis services via phone, lifeline, text, and chat. The Trevor Project also runs Trevor Space, which is a safe space social networking site for LGBTQ youth. Um, It operates innovative education, research, advocacy, and technology programs. But specifically in terms of what I do in my role on the advocacy team as one of the advocacy campaign managers is I work a lot on the federal level um, with Congress and uh, or agencies in the executive branch on um, supporting uh, mental health for LGBTQ youth and finding ways to support them when they are experiencing a mental health crisis. Right now, I lead uh, the organization's non-police intervention response work um, in terms of what that looks like for um, LGBTQ youth in crisis when they do need someone to respond to them or who when they're experiencing a behavioral mental health crisis. Um, a lot of times right now, there are parts of the country where law enforcement uh, responds to, again, youth who are experiencing mental or behavioral health crisis. Um, and a lot of times that adds on to additional trauma Um, to someone who's experiencing a crisis. Um, And sometimes, uh, unfortunately, um, when you get to the the most dire situation, it can end up in incarceration and loss of life. Mm -hmm. Um, So right now, my my job is to prevent that and to support, you know, care for our young LGBTQ youth. Um, And as a Black queer man myself, um, this work is extremely important to me. Um, as someone who, again, you know, had my own bouts with uh, my mental and behavioral health uh, as a as a young uh, young black queer man growing up um, in in Boston and in and in my family. Yeah, and I know you mentioned there, kind of the work you do working with Congress, and I know you yourself have gone from working for a nonprofit to actually working for a member of Congress to being back here in the nonprofit world. So, can you tell us a bit about? your journey there and what led you back here to doing the nonprofit work you're doing? Yeah, I, I will say that you, you called out the, uh, something about sort of my careers is I've been in either the nonprofit or I've been in the the, the public uh, sort of servant uh, world, which they're very, very connected and very similar. Um, I, I tend to my goal, um, and, and this is something that has really evolved over time, and I think this is not something that's necessarily evolved over time. I think this is, has has been something that has been a, a driver, but I think the way that um, 
that looks in terms of the the career that I have chosen, I guess has evolved. Uh, but I right now, I think my career goal is to support and build black and brown political power. Um, and right now, that really focuses on building black and brown LGBTQ political power. Mm. Um, and like you said, I sort of was in the nonprofit world when went into public service and then back into the nonprofit world. A lot of that actually has to do with uh, my time before I graduated college. I worked on three to four campaigns, um, consecutive cycles um, while I was in college and high school and all of those campaigns lost. Um, I in fact took a semester off of college as I was hired on to a campaign while I was still in school as I was uh, transitioning to my senior year of, of college. Um, and honestly, d- just those losses were were really tough. And, and for anyone who has been in the campaign world, you you kind of just know that you put so much of your heart and soul into, you know, the communities that you're, and I was a field organizer. So I'm putting all my heart and soul into the communities that I was organizing. And those communities were, were my community. There were communities of color within Boston for the most part. Uh, I did work on a few campaigns outside of Massachusetts, but the, but I was working in Massachusetts and I was working in Boston. I was working within my community. I was working with, again, you know, Black and brown uh, people, you know, building that power, turning out votes, um, educating, you know, our, our, my, my community members and, and my family members. Um, and unfortunately, you know, those three losses really did take a toll on me. Hmm. Um, so I decided to, right out of college, I decided I was going to take a step away from the political world and the government world. Um, and I had some previous experience working in arts administration. So um, I really love the arts. It is a very, very big part of, of who I am today. Um, so I, again, I took a step away and I decided to go right out of college and work for an arts uh, advocacy nonprofit, not doing the advocacy part of it, but working on the nonprofit operations side, just sort of the general things of how a nonprofit runs. Um, again, I did a lot of arts and manage uh, arts administration, arts management when I was in school. I was a house manager for theater, worked at that theater for four years, well, four and a half years while I was in school. I also worked as the assistant to the marketing and development director, as well as the executive director while I was working at that theater in school. So again, I had a little bit of that experience um, in arts administration. So I decided to go work for this organization. Absolutely loved it, loved everything about it. But um, shortly after graduating or a year after graduating, we had uh, an election in 2016 while I was at the Americans for the Arts. Um, and that really had a really big toll on me, um, seeing um, you know, the White House uh, turn in the way that it did uh, in terms of the power of white supremacy and, and, and a very sort of blatant power of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I felt a bit of a, a not, not FOMO, I don't know if FOMO is really the right word that I wanna choose there, but just sort of, um, I guess the, a little bit of a calling to move back into to the world of politics and government and public service. Mm-hmm. And when 2016 happened, it actually reminded me of one of the campaigns that I worked on. And and one of someone who, you know, I, I really value in terms of the relationship. Um, he, he stopped me at one point and we we're having a really great conversation. And he said, look, you're going to enjoy campaigning. Campaigning is fun. On a, on a certain level, I understand that it's draining, but you're going to get bit by what he called the campaign bug. And he looked at me and said, it's always great to get people elected, but you cannot forget to govern. And that has something that has really stuck with me for a really long time. And again, when 2016 uh, happened, the election of 2016 happened, 
it was an opportunity for me to to think of all right what are what are my next steps and the that you know don't forget to govern was something that that continued to reverberate in the back of my mind so i decided to make that transition and work in congress um and i worked for a member from illinois as his uh as his operations coordinator but after working with him i transitioned into a role where i actually got to work with my the congressperson from my home district in boston massachusetts um and someone who really again uh was centering the the lived experiences of black and brown people in the way that they govern in the way that they write their policies so that was something that was really intriguing to me yeah and so what was it I mean, you've kind of alluded to here, but can you share a little bit more of what was it specifically that attracted you to the Trevor Project and working for advocacy for them? What specifically attracted me to the Trevor Project was the fact that they are centering saving the lives and prioritizing care for LGBTQ young people. And again, as someone as a as a black queer man who grew up as a as a young black LGBTQ person and in group as honestly a closeted uh LGBTQ young person uh mm-hmm. for a number of reasons that does come with a level of mental trauma um right. that sort of sits with you and I wanted to be able to support um young people who were like me young black queer people and young people of color uh queer people um and and trans people non-binary people who struggle with many of the same things that I struggled with. Um, I was suicidal at one point in my life. Um, and actually the the thing that saved me was in high school, I started volunteering for a suicide hotline um, and, and working in crisis services as, as a high school student. That was something that, you know, I was able to, again, save myself um, because it was an opportunity for me to talk with other peers. Um, and I worked on a specific line that, you know, answered phone calls from uh, teenagers and young people who were uh, experiencing suicidal ideation and able to, you know, talk with them and, and de-escalate, you know, the situation. And that's something that has really stuck with me since that work. And, you know, that is really what has attracted me to the Trevor Project. And specifically working the advocacy team, you know, that's that's just a uh that's purely just a, a skills thing and something that I've I've learned to be good at. Um I am a policy person, I work in Congress, um, I'm an advocate, you know, I've I've done a lot of this. I've 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 been a field organizer on campaigns. A lot of this again is just interesting skills that I've been able to develop. And I find that this is going to be one of the best ways that I can uh, build black and brown political power um, for LGBTQ people, but specifically help to prioritize, uh, you know, the, the health and mental health and well-being of LGBTQ youth to make sure that they don't feel alone and to make sure that they're, they can be successful people in their lives. Yeah. And I know kind of, as you were describing a bit there, as well as in general, you're talking about building black and brown political power. You know, one of your, your passions is, as you've described, kind of dismantling the racist and oppressive policies and social systems that prevent marginalized individuals from thriving in their communities. You've alluded to here the different ways that you kind of take that on, but are there ways that you can share that how you actually at a ground level take on that challenge in your daily life? One of the ways that I do this is honestly just the way that I show up in the world as a Black queer person and challenging the way you know, the, 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 the misconceptions and, and preconceptions that many people have about what black queer people do. And that in, also includes, you know, within 
the Black and queer community. Um, you know, to talk about mental health within the Black community is, is already something that can be a little bit difficult. Um, there, for, for many people in the Black community, there are other avenues that uh, they feel are uh, more productive or they feel that, you know, mental health is not something that we necessarily need to prioritize. We have, you know, within the Black community, there are a lot of, you know, physical health issues that are connected to mental health issues that many of us, many Black people don't necessarily make that connection. Mm-hmm. Or, or again, they find they find other ways to to find that other or, or to what many of them do is they try to find other ways that outside of therapy. So that can be either within, you know, the religious context or that can be within family. But I have found that, you know, having a therapist and and prioritizing my mental health has been something that was really important. And to, to have those conversations about mental health in the black community is extremely important. Um, But also to have those questions about black queer mental health is is something that's extremely important. Those are two things that, again, within the black community are two very difficult conversations, mental health and then LGBTQ people. Um, again, going back to some of that, that religious background and some of that, uh, you know, familiar background. Again, those are two, two topics that are really difficult. So the way that I show up is, is number one, supporting my community and helping again, to, to build that power, to build that positive um, experiences with, in all mental health and, and prioritizing your health. So that's one way that I do it. The other way that I do it is just consistent and constant education. I am always learning to, uh, and I'm always reading. I'm always going to different conversations by by Black authors, by, by queer authors, by Indigenous authors. You know, that is something that I have to continue to learn and continue to grow at. I tell people this all the time especially within within this work within movement work we tend to have an understanding that or or a preconception that we all understand uh you know the struggles and we all understand you know how to move forward but i tell people this all the time while i am a black queer man i am still a cis man you know, I am not a trans person. I am still someone who grew up in the society. I'm still someone who was who was fed, you know, these white supremacist ideals, and they were part of my life. I was still someone who was fed, um, you know, these patriarchal ideals. They are still part of the society. I'm not exempt from these things. I have educated myself to be more aware of them, to understand them, and to be able to identify them so that when they do manifest themselves in my life and in other people's lives, I can call them out and bring those people in so that those behaviors can change, whether those are my own behaviors or other people's behaviors. Yeah, definitely something unique to think about, sort of the the systems and all that, the structures that we grew up in, how that influences what we're uh, passionate about and sort of what what areas we work on, what things we're focused on and how we see the world. And yeah, just all of that that you were mentioning there. Right. Uh, Is there something that you feel that the listeners should know specifically either about the cause that you're working for or about racist societal structures beyond what you've shared here thus far? Yeah, I think one of the things that I, you know, I really talked about, you know, the intersection of, of a lot of these issues, but I really wanted to be able to to contextualize some of these things with with folks. Um, 
Now, across the race and ethnicity, you know, with, within Native and Indigenous youth who are two-spirit LGBTQ youth, you know, they consistently report higher suicide risk. When you're talking about Black people, they consistently report higher suicide risk compared to white youth. You know, 12% of white youth attempt a suicide compared to 21% of Native, Native or Indigenous youth, 20% of Middle Eastern or North African youth, 19% of Black youth. 12%, excuse me, 17% of multiracial youth and 16% of Latina youth. Again, consistently higher uh, rates than white youth. That is something, again, is, is so important as to why I do this, this work. When you center the experience of those who are most marginalized and those who are most, you know, and I, and I don't want to use this term, this term victimized, but it's the term that, I can, that comes to mind right now, that are victimized by our systems of oppression that we know uh, continually to be, uh, again, oppressed by, by intentionally and unintentional systems. These are this, that's why I do this work because this work requires intention. And when you continue to move throughout the world, thinking that things just happened because they happened, because that's the way it happened. Um, I think we continue to fall into the cycle of, of our, of, of, of white supremacy and, and of our racist systems and, and of our patriarchal systems that again continue to oppress our most marginalized. And when you center those experiences within your solutions and within your policy making, not only do you benefit those people, but you actually benefit the entire system and you benefit everyone. I'm not a fan of the the term, you know, a rising tide uh uh raises all boats, but in this situation. Again, when you center those experiences of, of, of people who are at the intersection of, of our most marginalized identities, they actually do bring everybody up. They benefit everyone. And that is something that is so important for people to understand as to why I do this work and why this work is so important. It's not just about you know centering these people because we are the most oppressed or because you know we have, have been oppressed for, for 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 black people for over 400 years you know we are we are consistently as and as a black queer person we're consistently you know at the at the intersection of racism transphobia and homophobia and and patriarchal systems so again when you center those lived experiences and and you center those solutions around those lived experiences you benefit not just people who are at the margins but you also benefit white white people who may not be queer who may also be experiencing a behavioral mental health crisis, who may not necessarily also benefit from law enforcement responding to a mental health crisis. Well, with all of that shared, and yeah, thank you definitely for sharing that and sharing those kind of insights, I guess, that can often be overlooked and not really thought about. Is there one sort of quick takeaway or one one thing that you would like to share with your fellow young adult audience? The first thing I would do is show support for the young people in your life, specifically LGBTQ people in your life, and especially those at the margins. Mm. The Trevor Project does a national survey on an LGBTQ youth mental health. And in 2022, in that survey, they found that the LGBTQ youth who lived with an accepting community had access to LGBTQ affirming spaces or felt high social support from family and friends reported significantly lower rates of attempting suicide in the past year hmm. simply just by having someone in their community that supported them right 
We also know that from past research that having at least one accepting adult can reduce the risk of suicide attempts among LGBT young people by 40%. Mm. Showing up for your young people is extremely important. Right. The next thing I would recommend people do, educate yourself. I really talked about how I'm constantly learning and educating myself. Because I also understand, I mentioned earlier, that I'm not special. I didn't I didn't grow up in, in a bubble, you know, where the societal norms of, of racism didn't exist and of repression didn't exist. They still exist today. They existed when I grew up. And I'm, I'm still relatively young. Consistently educating yourself is extremely important. Mm. The next thing that I would recommend you do, take action. You cannot sit idly by and think that after showing support and educating yourself that these systems are going to change by magic. You have to take action. You have to vote. You have to register to vote. But not. it's not just about voting. It's about holding those people you voted for accountable after you voted for them. And it's saying that, hey, look, I know I voted for you, but that does not mean you automatically get my vote the next time. Right. I'm going to continue to work with you to make a better world for our Black queer, our Black trans, our Black non-binary, and all of our other people of color who are at the intersection of oppression in our country and around this world. We have to support our people. That means calling to, that also means calling those elected officials, setting up meetings to support your LGBTQ youth and your trans and non-binary youth. Yeah, definitely all important things, taking the the words and all that and turning into action is <laughs> is a key part and a key challenge, I'm sure, is something that you you face in your in your role working on advocacy and all that. Uh, sort of engaging, especially with all all of the issues out there, how to how to get your issue to stand stand out among the the noise of all of everything of all the challenges that we face in our world today. Right. Uh, as we wrap up here, how would you say people can best connect with you if they'd like to learn more and learn how they can take action i am on linkedin at dennis e barrett um you can also shoot me an email at dennis.barrett at the trevorproject.org that's d-e-n-n-i-s dot barrett b-a-r-r-e-t-t at the trevorproject.org and i will as always have the links both to your linkedin profile as well as just the information on what you just shared there in terms of your email address so that people can reach out for you. Uh, but that's just about all the time that we've got here today. So definitely thanks for giving us all these unique insights into the work that you're doing and kind of an area that can be overlooked in terms of the oppression and other things that we face, uh, people face in our society. Yeah, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Of course, thank you so much for having me, Adam. It has been an amazing conversation with you. And uh, thank you all to your listeners who have tuned in. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. Hopefully you learned something new about the work happening in the nonprofit sector and were inspired to get involved. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you're listening from. If you want to learn more about today's guest, how you can contact them and explore the organization they work for, check out the show notes. That'll do it for this episode. Come back next time to hear from yet another aspiring.